Amen. We're just grateful to the Lord um, to be here again. Just grateful to the Lord to share and fellowship one more time. I'm just so thankful for the worship that we've had already on today. Um, I would also pray that um, that even in that video, it made a it made a specific uh, remark about praying for one another and. That is so imperative and sometimes so foreign for us as believers. But we must remember that we are called to pray for one another. We are neighbors one to another. And so in dealing with that today, we're going to be looking specifically about what that fight within ourselves looks like as we combat temptation in our lives. You say, well, what does that have to do with praying with your neighbor? Well, a part of that that you need to realize is that Every single person in here, one, is your neighbor, but is also in a fight against sin and temptation in their own lives. Every one of us, not any of us, are absolved from dealing with the struggle of sin. And so what we want to do today is really look at what it means to fight, actually fight, the temptation of sin within our lives and understand how God has given us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to combat sin in our lives. Now, as I say that, I know you automatically will probably start thinking that I'm merely referring just to sexual sin. But if you remember, I've already preached a message on how to stay away from lust and how to avoid lusting. And if I just talked about sexual sin, well, some of us have perhaps aged out a bit of sexual sin, but that doesn't mean that you are absolved from dealing with other types of sin. So what we want to do today is look at how all sin can affect us and what we must do in order to actually combat and fight temptation. Now, every single one of us is predisposed in this room to some type of sin, every single one of us. The Bible makes it clear that because of the sin of Adam and Eve, that we had to us passed down a sin nature, a sin nature that we have all inherited. And every single one of us is predisposed to some type of sin. Now, that varies sometimes from, from different people, but the reality is, is that many of us are not predisposed to just one sin. Many of us struggle and wrestle with many different types of sins. And so what we want to do is understand what that means and how we can fight. And so we're going to begin today looking at the life of Joseph, looking at the temptation of Joseph. But we're also going to go really in depth about how we are attacked with sin and then some practical steps from the Bible on how we can combat that. So, no, this is not, I can take a Sunday off from listening. This is going to be important for you. This is going to be important for you as you fight, as you combat against the sin that is so present, probably in your own life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the real biblical steps that we have, the imperatives to avoiding falling into sin. And so to do that, we're going to look first in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We're going to start at verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. 
his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and all over he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there, it was in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for one more opportunity to hear the preached word of God. Lord, this is such a real, relevant truth for all of us. No matter where we may be, and no matter how far we may think we are from seeing God, you've made it clear that wherever we try to do good, evil is always present. There is always sin surrounding us and always the temptation to sin. And so, God, we just pray that you open up our eyes and our ears to understand what you have to say about what it means to fight temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So. While I was preparing the sermon, as I commonly do, I would go out to different commentaries and just see what they have to say about particular texts. And so this time I was on the Desiring God website and looking at some of the commentaries they had and devotions on Potiphar's wife and what happens here with Joseph. And while I was reading that, one of the writers mentioned a story that he had heard Chuck Swindoll tell. Chuck Swindoll told this story while he was preaching that he knew of a friend who had gone out deer hunting, and when that man went out deer hunting, a rattlesnake tried to attack him. But when it tried to attack him, it got hooked in the sweater that he was wearing. And so as it was hooked in his sweater, he wrestled with it and wrestled with it to get it out, but the fangs were hooked, and they were so deeply hooked into his sweater that he actually could feel the venom from the snake run down his neck. And so at some point, he realized, you know, Wrestling with the snake really doesn't make a good deal of sense because at this point is either my life or the snake's life and it's not going to be my life. And so he realizes that the only opportunity he has for survival is to strangle the snake. The only opportunity he had to survive was to kill the snake with his bare hands. And that's what he did. Same is the case for all of us in our dealings and wrestles and struggles with sin. 
Far too often we entertain, we allow, we permit things that will lead us into temptation, that will lead us into sin, when the reality is that we have to kill sin, mortifying the flesh, as we've been called to do in the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to starve our flesh so much that any attempt that it has to arise against us would cause it to just die. And just as this man strangled out that snake, we have to strangle out temptation in our lives. That is going to be the great struggle for many of us, that we are not just fighting sin, but the desire for us is to see sin killed in our lives. Now, I want you to notice that what happens in the story of Joseph that so many of us are familiar with is that it is very clear to us very early on that Joseph is submitting his life to a higher authority. I never forget there's this movie with Chris Rock called I Think I Love My Wife, and there's this pivotal moment, which is totally fake, not realistic at all, where he's about to have sex with this woman who's not his wife, and he has the... the the tie around his head like he would do with his children. And instantly, in that moment, he remembers, oh, wait, I have children. I shouldn't commit this great offense. But that's not often the reality. Just thinking about your children or just about whatever the case may be as a reminder is not enough. And that wasn't enough for Joseph. I want you to notice what Joseph actually says here. He doesn't say, I can't commit this great offense against Potiphar. No, because Potiphar was probably a sinful man himself. Every one of us is. He says, no, I can't commit this great wickedness against God. That is the perspective that every single one of us has to have as we wrestle and fight against temptation, that every sin that we will do is not just a sin against ourselves, is not just a sin against our brother or our sister, but it is a sin, it is wickedness against God. Why is that important? Because there are many times that many of us are perhaps guilty of the sins that nobody will ever find out about. It is those private, secret sins that we keep hidden that nobody knows are running through our hearts, running through our minds, even sometimes coming out of our mouths that nobody even knows. Some of our actions that nobody even knows. And the biggest mistake that we make is that we think, well, nobody sees it. But the reality is, is that we have a God whose eyes stretch long and wide. Everywhere you can possibly go, you cannot escape the judgment in the eyes of God. Ask Jonah. There is not a single one of us, no matter where we are, who can escape from God. And so in our attempts to remain faithful to God and to avoid sin in our lives, we have to remember that we are always being observed by God no matter where we are. And that any sin that we commit, though it may be an offense to our brother or our sister, it is never a greater offense to them than it is to God. It will never be enough to just think about another person. You must think about God. That is one of our great misses as believers. When we try to fight the looming temptation of sin, we don't keep in perspective that all of our sin, no matter how we justified it, we may feel in how we impacted somebody else. What do I mean by that? Let's think about it. The ways that we typically sin 
And the ways that we allow sin to slide are usually manifest in these ways. It's through worrying. It's through lying, deceit, gossip, slander, cursing, complaining, ungratefulness, gluttony, slothfulness, jealousy, pride. The list goes on, doesn't it? Every single day, these are quite often the sins that while we attack what we think are the big magnanimous sins, we allow these things to be very prevalent in our lives. And so what we need to do is take away from Joseph's playbook and the scriptures in order to fight sin. That brings us to our first point. What is one of the best ways we can combat sin? Number one, run. (laughs) Simple as that. Simple as that. Now, the world tells you if you run away from your troubles, if you run away, then you're a coward. No, the most courageous thing you can do as a believer is in the face of sin and temptation, run in the other direction. One of the most dangerous things that you can do as a Christian is being overly confident in your own abilities in sinful situations. How many of us have fallen into sin, no matter what the sin is, thinking, I'm strong enough to handle this. We're just going to go this far and no further. I'm just going to participate this much and no further. And every single time we realize that when sin is in close proximity, we are more often bent to commit it than we are to resist it. Obviously, I can tell you if you are alone with a person of the opposite sex and they proposition you for sex the way it happened with Joseph here. Sure, you know, you should get out of that situation as soon as possible. But what about when somebody at work or calls you and brings gossip your way about a situation? What about in those moments when you have an opportunity to either be a willing participant or to run in the opposite direction? See, we like to start with what we believe are the big sins, but what about starting with the common everyday sins in our lives? There is no reason for a believer to ever find themselves in the place of a sinner and where sin is going to happen. There's never an excuse. Do you remember when we talked about what it actually means to be blessed? And we talked about Psalm 1. And one of the things that he mentions in that psalm is that the blessed person does not find themselves in sinful situations. The blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. They don't stand in the way of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of scornfuls. It is not impressive to show how progressive and tolerant you are as a Christian. The best thing for you to do in the midst of sin is to get away from it. It's to run. It is important that when you find yourself where you know a sin or sins are happening, that you get out of that situation as quickly as you possibly can. In our text, we don't get the specifics of Joseph's feelings about the wife of Potiphar. We don't know whether he was attracted to her or not. But what we do know is that when she propositioned him and when she finally made a physical attempt to get him, he ran. That's what we do know. Now, you may be thinking, well, easy to say, Brandon, but there isn't always 
an opportunity for me to escape. That's what many of us think. Many of us commit some of the sins that we commit because we say there is not always an opportunity for us to get out of that sinful situation. Well, if you believe that, you're wrong. And I can show you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did. And 23,000 failed in a single day. We must not put Christ to test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, so important, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say that God won't ever put more on you than you can bear. They actually took that from this text, but they're getting it wrong. What he's actually saying is that God will not permit more temptation to come upon you than what you are able to bear. But not just that, he will also every time in his faithfulness provide a means of escape from every sinful situation so that you are able to bear it. See, what this text is actually saying is actually far greater than what we think it's saying. I don't mind God putting more on me than I can bear because in the scripture he has promised to bear my burdens for me. But I do need to know that God, when I'm in sinful situations, that there is an opportunity for me to get out of them. And that is God and his faithfulness. And there's a lot of meat, good meat and depth here in this text that we just read. And it's going to be important for all of us. Paul starts this chapter off by saying that I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Unaware of what? I don't want you to be unaware of all the ways that our forefathers were given into temptation. He says, if you remember, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. What does that mean? 
If you remember, when the Israelites complained about being hungry in the wilderness, situation they had gotten themselves in, that God fed them with manna from heaven. When they thirsted, if you remember, God miraculously allowed the rock to give them water. But look at what he says. For they drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. He says that, that it is the same food and drink that has been afforded to us. But even still, even though God met them in their needs, even though God provided for them, God was still not pleased with many of them. That's what he says. And so God has given us them as an example of what happens when we give into the temptation in our lives. That's what Paul says. These were given as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And then he even says what they did. He says that they were idolaters. They were sexually immoral. They put Christ to the test. They grumbled and complained. And they were given to us as a reminder that we are not to tolerate sin in any form, in any fashion in our lives because it led to their destruction, which is why he says if anyone thinks he stands, he should take heed unless he falls. But then look at the crowd in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we really need to break this one down, all right? Because this is going to be imperative for us to understand. The first thing is, is that no matter what temptation you're dealing with, no matter what fight of sin you are wrestling with, the Bible says that it's common. It is common to man, which means you're not in that fight alone, but that also means we have the only God, the only high priest, who actually suffered every infirmity and temptation that we have endured. And that he bore all of that on the cross on our behalf. Everything that can tempt every single one of us and everything that can draw us away from God is common throughout not only the history of Christianity, but mankind. You are not a special or exceptional case. That means that there is never a time that we can think that we are the exception to sin, right? If God has already told us that every sin that you would desire is common among man, then that means that he is not making a special exception for you. That means if they're on the hook for their sins, then you're on the hook for your sins. Yes, if you are in a difficult situation, the Israelites were in the wilderness, and yet that was not a legitimate reason for them to complain. That means whatever your situation may be, no matter how dire you may think it is, none of those situations that you may face is a legitimate reason for you to utter one grumbling, grumbling murmuring word about God. 
Not a single one of them. Let's go back to Joseph. How easily would it have been for him to say, do you understand the situation? She was after me every day, and she was going to lie on me if I didn't do it. Let alone, this was my only means of earning a living. I had to do it. That's not what he says, though. He gets out. And it's important to understand that God is not the source of our temptation. James says that do not say when you are tempted of evil that God is tempting you, but that when you are drawn away into temptation, you are drawn away because of your own lust. But look what God does in his goodness and in his faithfulness. Do we see it? You may be the responsible party, but God is faithful and he will not allow a temptation to come to you that is beyond what you can withstand. Think about it. I can dig my own hole of sin and temptation, but the faithfulness of God says, but no matter how deep the hole is, I have provided an escape for you from the temptation. But I dug it, God. But yes, but I'm getting you out of it. Say, so, well, I just can't accept that. If you can't accept that, then you can't accept the gospel. Because every single one of us was digging our own crypt in sin and death. Yet there was a God in Jesus Christ who hung on the cross in my place so I didn't have to. That's the reality of the gospel. And that's the faithfulness of God. What a God we serve that in my sin and my disrespect for him, he still gives me an out. He doesn't just give us an out into salvation, but he gives us an out in our sanctification. Which means in the moments that even now as a believer, there's a door, there's a door, there's a door. There's always somewhere I can go to escape my temptation. Question is, are you walking through the door? Are you walking through the door of escape or are you freely giving in to the temptation that presents itself? Think about it. That time when you thought you had to tell that lie or had to share that information or had to talk bad about that person, there was an escape. God in his providence has provided us an escape from sin. You can escape when you feel your anger boiling up or even anxiousness. There is an escape. Now, the question is, where is that escape? It's point number two. You can escape to the word. Escape to the word of God. Looking back at our first Corinthians text. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The beautiful thing about these things being written down is that when we feel the pressure of sin and temptation, we can go to the word of God and look at how sin not only affected the lives of God's people, But we can also see how damaging, uninhibited sin can be in our lives. 
our soul is in temptation has to be in that reminder from Paul. My temptation is common. God has provided a way of escape. We have an example set before us in the word. And that means that this is the reality. If you are a Christian, that while you may lose battles against sin. God has given us a final victory over it. Ultimately, we have been given victory over the war against sin. And because of this, the Bible says that there are sins that the Bible says should not even be named among us as believers. Why? Because the death of Jesus does surely cleanse us from our sins. Remember, this should put in perspective for us that we have been empowered to resist sin as well. Let's go to Ephesians 5 and 3. Ephesians 5 and 3. Now, I want you to have just a lot of context because there are lots of people who say, oh, you know, it's okay if you're wrestling with this or dealing with this. But there is a text here we're going to see where Paul is saying there are certain things that if you are a Christian, he didn't even say that you shouldn't be doing. He said it shouldn't even be named among you. Ephesians 5 and 3. But sexual morality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance, zero inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. But you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Look at this. Paul says in this letter that it is unfitting that these sins even be named among believers, which is actually saying you shouldn't even be in the company of such people. If you are a Christian, that's one other part of our sanctification is that we have been set apart from the way that the world is going. It says, now, how is it that we have moved today? He talks about it in his scripture. He says, don't let anybody fool you with empty words. But we have been moved to such a position today that it's almost like as a Christian, the more you sin, the more relevance you have to the world. Think about it. The most popular preachers have had some of the most popular falls. And it's like people are drawn more and more to them because of their sins. Because what people want so desperately is to see our humanity. But there was never a person who has ever been saved because of another man's humanity. We've only been saved because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. 
So I don't need anybody thinking, well, when Brandon falls, then we'll really be relatable. No, it has nothing to do with that. First of all, you know I'm a sinner. How do you know that? I was born. That's it. And you know that my life, just as yours should be, is stitched and held together by the faithful nails of Jesus Christ on the cross with whom I have also been crucified. Paul says that it is just as damning to the person to be greedy as it is for them to be sexually immoral. Isn't that beautiful? So often we talk about, as we should, about people being sexually immoral. But Paul actually says that in the eyes of God, there is no distinction from the man or woman who is greedy than from the man or woman who is sexually immoral. He says that neither of them will have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, that should strike a little bit of awareness in us because some of us are thinking, whew, I'm not sexually immoral. But some of us do struggle and wrestle with greed. Some of us do get caught up in watching the shows with the nice countertops and floors and walls and lights, and we desire to have that in our own home. But you should be no more desired with what God has provided than what you see on TV. And what he is warning us is that you may think you're in good shape, but you're just as guilty as the sexually immoral if you're wrestling with greed, if you're idolatrous. So what he's actually saying is that, no, you can't be a Christian and be sexually immoral. That's what he just said. He says, actually, no, you can't be a Christian and be overcome with greed. Now, Paul says that if you find these things in your life, that you have been detached from the kingdom. Which means you were never really a part of it in the first place. But then look at what else he says. He says that even crude and filthy talk and joking is out of place for believers. How does this, fight us? How does this help us fight temptation? If I know that a certain pattern of sin in my life is a denial of the gospel then I will be diligent through the power of the Holy Spirit to not fall into that temptation. Listen, I'm not naive, people. Some of us have become so desensitized to the idea of living without the pressure of sin that we have seen even those so-called holiness people have the most prominent falls. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who we look up to. And then we get closer and we see the reality of their lives, we see that even more so that they have their own moral failings and that they are succumbing to the desires of their sinful flesh. So how can we not only keep the faith but also know that God, what God has said about us resisting sin is true and is applicable to us? Point number three, the final point. Believe the gospel is true. Believe the gospel is true. In short, short point, if you are struggling with some pervasive sin in your life, my question, quite simply to you, is this. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Let's look at John, 1 John and 3. 
verse 4. 1 John 3 and 4. This is from the word of God. Somebody got mad at me one time because I quoted this scripture in their person. And I was like, look, this is the word. It ain't me. But this is what it says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You know that he, that's Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Look at this. It says that you know that Jesus appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So how did he take sin away? He became sin. He stood in our place so that the penalty of sin could be taken away. That's salvation. The power of sin has been taken away. That's sanctification. And the presence of sin will be taken away. That's glorification. You can say you believe this, but if the gospel is not manifested like this in your life, then you don't. If you are a believer, then your practice is not sin but it is your pursuit of God and his righteousness. If you know that you're struggling, then like I said in the beginning, you have to strangle sin out in your life. And I want you to understand this. This is not just about you trying to police your desires. Most of us are guilty of that, and that's called sin management. This is about allowing God to invade the space that is sinful in our lives and allowing him to overtake it because what most of us are trying to do is simply entertain our sins, keep them at close enough, arm's length, so that it's there to entertain us but that we don't ever fall into it. But if you don't know how sin works, let me tell you. Sin is not a welcome guest. Sin dominates. Sin drives. And when you let sin into your house, you think it's going to the guest room. No, it's going to the master bedroom. And sin is going to take over. How do you combat it? You strangle it. You mortify your flesh. You consider yourself as dead to sin, but alive in Christ. 
But if that's not enough, this is what should give us hope. Because so many of us don't know this or believe it. But you can be free. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. So many of us have struggled in and with sin for so long that the idea that we could be freely in enjoyment to Christ is foreign to us. There is freedom in Jesus. There is the liberty to walk around and be free. So my prayer for you is that you will be able to walk in the truth of the gospel. What is that truth? That Jesus has borne my sins on the cross, but he isn't just taking away the penalty of sins. He has also taken away my need to sin. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took away every legitimate excuse I had to keep on sinning. You can absolutely walk in the freedom and the joy of being in Jesus. You don't have to live in the bondage of sin. He has taken away my need to sin because he became sin. And you don't have to walk and live in that pendulum swing of good and bad, good days and bad days, sinful days and free days. In Christ, there can be the consistency of a strong walk with him. It's possible, people. It's possible. You just have to trust him. That if he said that he came to take away sins, that he did just that. And in every opportunity you have to fall in sin, every single day, every single moment, there is an escape. There is an out. You just have to look for it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you have given us, God, an out. One, eternally you have given us an out because Jesus Christ has taken the penalty for the sins of those of us who believe. There's an out there. The Bible says if we repent and believe the gospel, we will have eternal life. But God, even as believers, every opportunity to sin, you are providing for us an out, an escape. And so God, my prayer is that even as we go back into our lives, as we leave today, I know how quickly sin is going to come and pounce and attack. God, my prayer is not give us amazing strength. God, my prayer is give us the courage to run. God, give us the courage to see the door and escape out of it, just like Joseph did. God, give us the grace and the courage to know that what we're dealing with is common, but that you have appeared to take away our sins. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you will reaffirm us, that you will strengthen us in our fight against sin and temptation. Knowing that you are faithful, you are true to your word. There is an out. We thank you, Lord, that we're going to walk in freedom. We're going to walk in liberty like never before. We believe that. 
We're going to have the joy of our salvation restored to us, God. We believe that. And it is in the name, the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.